Looks like Sarah's got them today. All right, praise God. Braden, are you helping too? All right, I'll preach extra long, all right? I better not say that. They'll all come back in. Good to see all of you here. It's good to see, I'm telling you, at 20 minutes till 11, or I don't even know what time it is. Now, normally, I expect on the day that the clocks go back, I expect people to be here an hour early. Not you guys. I mean, um, I didn't set my clock back because you don't have to anymore. Your phone is your clock. My little grandson was uh, FaceTiming uh, Robin. His name's Ollie. He's Jason's son. And Ollie's birthday, well, anyway, that's coming up and all this stuff. And Robin was at my dad's or my sister's house, and there was a clock behind there. And Ollie said, I want one of those for my birthday. I guess he didn't know what a clock was. But I used to have to set it before you go to bed. And anybody remember the little alarm clocks? How many of you remember the wind-up alarm clocks? And it rang. Some of the younger people was like, yeah, it goes all over the place, doesn't it? Some of the younger people like it. There's no such thing. There really is, Sam. <laughs> I understand. Alarm clocks are overrated unless you want to get to work on time. And then we, we got the special ones that you plugged in, and it, and it would play a radio. The radio would go off when the alarm goes off. Unless you live in Metropolis and a wind comes through and knocks the power out, you wake up late and the, the alarm clock's blinking at you. Remember that? So you don't have to do that anymore. Your phone will do that. I forgot to set it back. I forgot to tell people last night. Dr. Steve Williams, my, my mentor and my coach, he said he wasn't going to tell his church. He wanted them to get there an hour early. And so I didn't set it back, and I woke up, and it said something like 6.15. I thought, well, I'm not going to sleep anymore. So I got up and walked in and looked at, we have an actual clock in our front room, and it was 7.15, so I thought, oh, yeah, I forgot to do that. So we're coming here. We're practicing music at 20 minutes till 10. The congregation was Lori. She was the only one here. And so we decided that if no one else shows up, Lori was going to sit through half the message on this side, and then she was going to get half the message on that side. But you know what you guys do at Eastland? About the last 10 minutes before we start, here you come. And I'm so glad you all came today because it would be very much a difficulty for Lori for me to have to preach at her for 40 minutes or something. So she's glad you all are here. Amen? And uh, this team did a great job. I want to thank uh, the worship team uh, for coming and doing this last night. We had a nice service last night and again today. And I appreciate all of what you guys do. You guys are, are outstanding and you come in and give your service to the Lord. And then as Bernie was talking about the Kentucky Opry, that's in Kentucky somewhere, hence the name Kentucky Opry. I think it's in Draftonville. And our church has gone several times and we take the seniors, and if you want to go, there's a sign-up list out here. We'd really like for you to go. You can be a senior or almost senior, or just you can be a chaperone. Because sometimes those guys need chaperones. Miss Donna, do you remember the very first time? Miss Donna, do you remember the very first time we went? Do you, do you, I'm about to tell a story about it. Maybe you don't remember. But I'm going to tell a story. I'm going to tell it on myself here. The first time we went, I don't know if you have assigned seats or not, but we were sitting second row, right? Um, 
So there's a, lot, there's a dozen of us. And have you ever been to, a, to a, a show like that when the guy says, all right, we need some help from the audience. Oh, not good. So the guy goes, I'm looking for the youngest person here. And this was 10 years ago. Guess who that probably was? Means you had money. You had status. You had influence. You had power. Jesus walks up and speaks to people who had none of those things. And he said, the kingdom of God is for you too. And he gives a long list of things. Blessed are those that mourn. Some of you are hurting right now. Jesus said, you're going to be comforted. Blessed are the meek. The ones that aren't going out to try to take over the world. Those are the ones that's going to hurt the earth. what he said. So what he's telling us is that the kingdom of God is way different than the kingdoms of this world. And so when Jesus was here, I would say most of the time when he's inviting people to follow, follow him, he's inviting them to a life of service in the kingdom of God. And so today we're going to get in Matthew chapter 16 of the call that Jesus gives to come and follow him. So before I get to the text, I have to give you a background because I think it's important to know the setting of what Jesus was speaking of. So if you have your Bibles or your phone open or even your notes, Matthew 16, beginning in verse 21, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you're not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. This is an astounding statement. Every disciple that left their homes, that left their jobs, their careers, their dreams, if you would, set out to follow the Messiah, and they all believed we are going to take over. We're going to get rid of these Romans because the Messianic prophecies said that the Messiah was going to set up a kingdom here on the earth. And so they all expected Jesus to do that. Why do you think so many times they wanted Jesus to squabble with the authorities? And I personally believe what Judas was trying to do when he betrayed Jesus was to force Jesus to fight the Romans. In one place, the Bible says that after Jesus had done some miracles, that the people tried to force him to be the king. In other words, they're trying to force him to rule right here and right now. That's a strange thing to think about. How can you force someone to be king? Because if that person's king, you can't force them. But the disciples were just like us. They didn't understand everything any more than we do. How many of you can say, I understand everything that's happened to me in the last year, happened to me in the last two years, or happened to me in the last 50 years? Sometimes we just don't understand. <clears throat> Jesus looks at these people 
who fully expected him to take over. And he says, the Bible says that he began to explain to them that he's going to go back to Jerusalem and die. Talk about your bad days. That's not at all what we had in mind. When we decided to follow Jesus, we didn't expect to hear that. Come on, Jesus. And you can see this. After he explains his death, Peter, and there's always one of those guys in the crowd, sometimes more than one. Sometimes I can be that one. The Bible says Peter <clears throat> rebukes Jesus. Think about that. He rebukes the Lord. That's pretty stern. The Bible says he took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. Can you imagine that? That'd be like the advisor coming to the, to the candidate for office and pulling him aside and rebuking him for something he said. You can't do this. In fact, Peter's language was so strong, he said, God forbid it, Lord. <laughs> How do you tell the Lord that God forbids it when the Lord is the one that speaks it and the Lord himself is God? Talk about being messed up. How did Peter get so messed up? Because not very far up in the passage, Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You're the Messiah. And a few moments later, <laughs> I don't know if he got the big head or what. I don't really know what it was, but I know that Peter, like everyone else and like everybody in this room, sometimes we're like, God, this just can't be. What you're doing, this can't possibly be. God, this is not right. And Peter rebukes the Lord. And what does Jesus do? The Bible says he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Who did Jesus rebuke? He didn't rebuke Peter. He rebuked Satan. You guys remember us talking about spiritual warfare that our, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood? We wrestle with principalities and powers of the air. Peter went from speaking inspired by the Holy Spirit. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Within a few moments, he's speaking inspired by the devil. God forbid it, Lord. Jesus said, uh-uh. Jesus turns around and says, uh-uh, Peter. He said, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me for you're not setting your mind on God's interests but man's. You see, in the song that we sang, the most important part of the song about the king of my heart is when we say, you are good. Because we have to be able to come back to the reality and the truth that no matter what is happening, God yet is good. It's easy to sing it, though, isn't it? It's way harder to live it. I don't remember who wrote the song, but we've sang it here a bunch. Blessed be the name. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back in praise. When the darkness closes in, still, I will say. I was listening to Tony Evans speak yesterday as I was walking. I got a chance to walk a little bit in the sunshine this is pretty nice for a November day, right? And so I'm walking and listening to this podcast. It's on Coping with Loss by Tony Evans. 
Tony Evans lost his wife. I don't know if it's a little more than a year ago. Tony Evans is one of the guys I, I really go to when I need to hear a you know, word from God. I don't know him personally, but his teaching really helps me. And I found out in the podcast that his family has lost eight people in the last couple of years. And so they're kind of well acquainted with grief and loss. And he starts the podcast by saying this. He says, your will is the engine. Your emotions are the caboose. If you ever get those out of order, then your journey's going to be a mess. Job said, you give and take away, yet I will say, blessed be the name. Habakkuk goes through, he's an Old Testament prophet, goes through all of the negativity that's happening in his world, and he knows that the Babylonians, who are way worse than the the people of God are going to be the instrument that God is going to use to discipline the people of God. And yet he says, I will exalt the Lord. The whole point is these disciples are in a place now where their hopes are dashed to pieces. And they begin to to complain and to begin to say, no, this can't be right. And Jesus says, some of those thoughts are coming from darkness. Let me give you some side notes as Steve Brown would say. What can we learn from this passage? First, we can learn that the flesh cannot understand God's will. Everybody who suffers loss says the word, why? Sometimes we ask people, why did this happen? The disciples could say, why? Tony Evans said many times, he said he utters the words, why? He said he goes into good detail about at some times with his wife's illness, it seemed like she was getting better, but then... It's like the rugs pulled out from under you and the natural human emotion is to say, why? And you look at things and you see chaos and you see disorder and you see pain and you see suffering and you say, why? The flesh simply cannot understand it because the flesh is what was speaking to Jesus empowered by darkness. Side note number two is Satan will always attempt to hinder God's will. Jesus says, I'm going to Jerusalem to die. Satan uses Peter in the power of Peter's flesh to say, no, Lord, we're not going that way. Satan will always seek to hinder God's will. Third, Satan will use our flesh to object to God's will. Satan will use what's in us don't think that because you're a Christian that Satan cannot speak to you and interject thoughts and influence you to do the will of darkness. Side note number four, Jesus rebukes Satan. I didn't know how to say that. 
I was going to say something like Jesus rebuked Satan and loved Peter, and that's true, but it's really kind of silent about what he said exactly to Peter. He looked at Peter, but when he looked at Peter, when he was speaking, he wasn't necessarily speaking to Peter. He was speaking to Satan. Satan using the flesh of Peter to speak back to Jesus, and Jesus rebuked Satan. Now, that probably wasn't a great day. Can you imagine that? You're in the group of disciples. Jesus says, who do men say that I am? Oh, I got it. I got it, Jesus. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus says, good job. A little bit later, Jesus says, I'm going to Jerusalem to die. You're like, "Uh uh-uh, you're not going to do it. And Jesus says, you're acting like the devil. I imagine that wasn't a very good day. And the fifth side note is Jesus always puts God's concerns over human concerns. When Jesus is rebuking Satan, he's like, you don't have the things of God in mind. You have human things in mind. Why is that? Because Satan is in the world to get humans to deny Jesus and to follow him so that he could be king of the world. Jesus is always concerned about God's things first. Always. Always. He always puts God's first. God first. So in Matthew 16, 24, we get to the message. Don't worry, it won't be long. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, for whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? This is the kingdom call. With this background in mind, the kingdom of God is coming. And Jesus is saying the way it's going to come, it's going to come because I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to die. And I'm going to redeem sinful humanity. And I'm going to call out from this sinful humanity a, a, a family of God. I'm looking for a family. And this family is going to be so big, it's going to be a kingdom. So let's talk about first the call. And this is for you today. Who is the call for? for whoever wants. That's what he said, wasn't it? You're right. It's for whoever wants. It's not just for the rich. It's not just for the connected. It's not just for the influential. It's not just for the ones that society looks upon and says those folks have it together. It's for whoever wants. When God created humans, He created humans, and what he's looking for is a family. And in this family relationship, he's looking for people to love him. And ladies and gentlemen, you cannot force someone to love you. Love is an act of the will. The will comes first. The emotions are the caboose. And Jesus said, if you want to be with me, whoever wants is being called. So whoever you are today, I want you to know that the call of the kingdom is for you. But what is it in specifics? Whoever wants to be my disciple. Not to be my hangout buddy. Not to be my person that runs this way as long as things go my way. 
Whoever wants to be my disciple is the one that's going to follow him. My disciple, a person who is disciplined. See, the thing about discipline is, discipline means that sometimes you do what you don't want to do because it's the right thing to do. And a disciple will naturally be called to deny themselves. That's what he says. Whoever anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. What does it mean to deny himself? I have lots of illustrations. In about 15 minutes, we will dismiss. And we will invite you to come by the coffee shop where we have about three dozen freshly made chocolate chip cookies that I have to deny myself to keep it from happening. When I'm driving in the city and the hot now sign is on, I have to deny myself. You see, I can sit here all day long and say, I wish that I could take off some weight while I've got my head in the basket of cookies but it's not going to work. You can't do both. That's why I walk for exercise. I walk. At my age, I walk. Somebody says, why don't you run? I'm like, I am running. <laughs> for me, it's running. And you have to do those things. You have to deny yourself. Well, what does it mean to deny yourself in a spiritual way? A disciple is a person who is disciplined to follow the Lord. Sometimes we deny what we want. Nobody in this story wanted Jesus to die. Nobody did. And if they are like us and we are like them, and I think we are, we will inside of our brain try to figure out how to keep that from happening. I think really Judas was going to try to keep that from happening. He was going to force the issue. I imagine Judas thought when these Roman soldiers comes and arrest Jesus that Jesus was going to kind of speak the word, fire come down from heaven, boom, they're gone. Do you know that the disciples actually asked Jesus to do that on one occasion? Say, Lord, are you going to bring down, the, I think it was the Samaritans, Lord. Zap them. Don't tell me you've never thought that. Right? It's a humanness. Every time we're called on by God to forgive someone that's wronged us, it's going against what we want. We want vengeance. But God says, deny yourself, deny that flesh, and do what I tell you to do. Can I ask you something? If you're going to be a disciple of Jesus and deny yourself, don't you think that some of the Christian disciplines ought to be a part of your life? Because if you're going to follow Jesus, how are you going to know where he's going if you don't spend some time in discipline and prayer and Bible study and know what he's up to? It gets a little weightier than this. The call goes from the, from the call to the cross. He makes a very bold statement. He says, you've got to take up your cross. What in the world does that mean? 
It's the cost of discipleship. Take up your cross. That would be the equivalent of us saying, take up your noose. What happens in a noose? Something dies. Take up your electric chair and follow me. Take up old Sparky and follow me. Take up your cross. What happens on a cross? Something dies. But wait a minute, Pastor. I don't want that kind of Christianity. You can't have it both ways. This is the cost of discipleship. You take up your cross. And let me say something else about it. It's personal. Your cross is personal. I've ministered as a pastor for well over 30 years, and I want to tell you, I've seen all kinds of suffering. I've seen families that suffered. I've seen persons that suffered. I've seen sickness that happens. I've seen wrecked relationships happen. I've worked with people who have been abused, whose children were abused, who were abused as children. I've worked with all kinds of people, with all types of things. You imagine it. There's not much that shocks me anymore because throughout the years I've worked with it. And most of the time when you're working with folks, they say things like, why did this happen? And my answer is always the same. I don't know. But one thing I do know is that wherever you are, your personal situation is a personal cross that you've got to bear. It's personal for me. It's personal for, me, for you. I can't change your personal situation. I can change, help you change some outcomes, but there's some things about your life that's got to be taken up because all of us in this room have things that will pull us away from the will of God. And that's our cross. You think this language is just in this one place? The Apostle Paul went on to write things like this. I die daily. What does that mean? It means I die to me. I die to my flesh. I die to what I want. I deny myself and I die to that what does he say? For I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives through me. You see, that's, that's the good part about this is when you take up the cross, then the resurrection life of Jesus takes over. See, you can do this in your power, you can resist the cross and you can live in your pre-resurrection life or you can die to this flesh life and live with the resurrection life, moving you through life, bringing sanity to you, bringing joy to you, bringing peace to you, giving you the ability to say, nevertheless, I will praise him. And you can sing as we sang earlier, you are good, you are good, and you are good. So what does the conduct look like? You see the, the call, you see the cross, then you've got the conduct. The conduct of the kingdom call is this. You're following Jesus. You're following Jesus. 
if someone was behind me and I walked this way and they're going to follow me, they would be they would end up in the same place that I am. If you're going to deny yourself and become a part of the kingdom of God and receive the call of the kingdom of God, then you are going to be a Christ follower. Where he goes, I go. You remember the old hymn, wherever he leads, I'll go. Another old hymn said, where he leads me, I will follow. I think today that the culture of our day has become so maybe we can use the word entitled, that we think that God is just simply for us to the point where we expect him to do what we want him to do and to make our life pleasant. And if that doesn't happen, we walk away from it. Ladies and gentlemen, nothing could be further from the truth. The way to resurrection life is through the death to yourself accomplished by the death of Jesus Christ. And I want you to know, when we learn to do that, the power of God's resurrection comes inside of us. And you can keep going. One of the things I believe from the scripture is those that know Jesus Christ, we persevere. And the only thing that can make you persevere is the power of the resurrection life. Because our flesh will quit all the time. The cost of discipleship, or to see the conduct is that we're following Jesus. We lose the life of the flesh. We lose that life. We say no to it. You say, what does the life of the flesh look like? I would refer you to Galatians to find out the difference. I don't have time to preach that today. If you would have come an hour earlier, I would have time. Galatians says, the works of the flesh are these. Is it six or five? I think Galatians 5 has it. We'll find that out and make sure you get that. If you want to know, am I living in the flesh? Take a look. It's all there. It's all listed. Then it goes on and says, but the fruit of the Spirit, and lists those. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, faithfulness, self-control. Self-control, isn't that interesting? Self-control is discipled, denying myself. You see, the Christian life, the kingdom's call, is not me doing this myself. It's me putting myself on a cross and his resurrected power carrying me through my life. We lose the life of the flesh, and it doesn't sound good, does it? Because Peter, you know what Peter thought? He thought, one of these days, I'm going to sit on a throne right next to Jesus. They argued about that stuff. See, they were a church. (laughs) They argued about stuff. Peter, James, and John, I think even their parent might have been their mothers, arguing about who's going to be first, who's going to sit here. They thought Jesus was going to have the throne of the king of David. That's going to happen someday, but it wasn't going to happen right then. And so these guys, they're all thinking, I'm going to get to sit here. Someone else said, I'm going to get to sit here. This is what I want. Jesus says, you can't have it. They're like, no way, Lord. And none of us in our flesh would like to hear that. Everything that you think is going to happen good to you, every, all of these advances you think you're going to get, all of these things that are going to be good for you that you think is going to sustain you through your life, Jesus says it's not going to happen. And the flesh goes, uh-uh, uh-uh. Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to say no to all that. You're going to have to say no 
to the flesh and even your ambitions. You got to say no to that to say yes to me. And the flesh goes, no, no, no. But here's what you're missing. When you lose the life of the flesh, you gain the eternal. You gain the eternal. If everybody in this room could live to be 120 years and have all the money they could ever spend, it still wouldn't be enough to satisfy you. And if you had that, you'd still live miserable. You say, Brian, can you prove that? Of course I can. Just look at anybody that's got all the money they can ever spend and show, show me how happy they are. They live in torment, in chaos. So why would we think we'd want that? You think that's the answer to your problems? God, just take care of all my problems. Everything will be good. Make me healthy, wealthy, and prosperous, and then I'll be good. Are you kidding? You're only seeing this part of it. When you lose the flesh, you gain the eternal if you lived to be 120 years and had all the money you could ever spend, if you were king of the world, you know what happens on day, on year 120 and one day and you die, you lose all of it forever. Jesus said, what will it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Let me end the topic by saying this. The cost of discipleship is less than the cost of gaining the world. Somebody's going to pay somewhere. There's a cost to following Jesus. Who's the call for? Whoever wants. Jesus made that clear. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are those that are persecuted. Blessed are, are the, those that um, are meek. Blessed are the peacemakers. The kingdom's for anyone who wants it. You can have it. If anyone wants it, there's a cross. You, you can't say yes, Lord, and yes to the flesh at the same time. What am I going to do with this flesh? This flesh wants to do wrong. This flesh wants cookies. This flesh wants stuff that the spirit doesn't want. What am I going to do? How am I going to deal with this? I'm just I'm going to fight it down. No, put it on the cross. Kill it. And then find resurrection life on the other side. Amen. Is that good? Y'all receive the word today.